our angel squad in their first year alone deployed more capital than our fund one. And so I think that's sort of the power of angel investors where, you know, if you can band people together, that's just a different approach in getting capital into startups and arguably in a faster way than spinning up a new fund. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Elizabeth Yin, General Partner at Hustle Fund, where she's focused on democratizing wealth through entrepreneurship. She is Miss Dunk Hippo 33 herself, notorious for threads on Twitter, and one of the best people in the early stage venture capital industry. Let's dive in. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. I am excited to talk with you. There's so much to go through with Hustle Fund and your story. I think one of the things I want to talk about first is just thinking about your background and starting companies, being at 500 startups, all these different things. Going from selling a company, your own company, to the venture side, why? Take me through that decision in the first place for you. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't see myself as a VC, actually. That may just shock people, but I, <laughs> I actually have never thought about VC. People are like, why did you go into VC? And I say that I've never thought about it. And, and I think here's my perspective. You know, after, so my, my prior company, LaunchBit, was an ad company. And after I sold that, I was like, well, you know, it, it was a relatively modest exit. I wanted a bigger, you know, I wanted to take another swing at this and, and do something big. And, but I wanted it to be something that could be my life's work for 30 to 40 years. And when you think about what are the things you want to work on for 30 to 40 years, that's actually a really hard problem. Like you think about this, <laughs> you think about that. And you're like, no, I'm really only interested in that for two days. So like... And then it dawned on me at that time, I was also mentoring a lot of startups and investing in startups, either in a small angel capacity or through 500 startups, which is the accelerator program that I went through with my company previously. Um, I realized that actually the problem was right in front of me all along, that really the problem that I wanted to work on for the next 30 to 40 years was helping startups. (laughs) And specifically, startups have three main challenges, uh, or most people do capital, um, but also knowledge and networks. And so for Hustle Fund, our mission is actually really to just move the needle in on all three of those things in startup ecosystems everywhere. So that's our mission. And certainly as part of that uh, capital allocation or deployment or investing in startups is part of it, but I just don't really see myself as a VC. <laughs> well, that from the outside with the number of things Hustle Fund does, I understand where you would say that. And to that point, you have, you have Camp Hustle that will be coming up since 2022. I'm sure you'll do it again if it goes well. Uh, you have Angel Squad, other things you're doing. Just take me through how you look at the different ways you can build a community, help founders, help investors outside of a traditional just investing out of a fund because there's a lot of stuff you're doing at Hustle Fund. Yeah. So diving into those three things, capital, knowledge, and networks, I think that you know, all three are important. And when we started this, we thought about, all right, what is the thing that is needed most? And at that time, we noticed that there was a real gap at what I would call pre-seed, basically the stage where there's early stage startups, there's no revenue, and no investor would make a bet on you unless you're well-connected. And at that time, I could have counted on one hand uh, you know, just a handful of funds that were willing to invest at pre-seed and maybe another handful of angels, and that was kind of it. But, you know, certainly there are more funds doing that now and more angels doing that now. I still think there's a dearth at pre-seed, but that was where we thought there was the biggest need for 
ecosystems literally everywhere, including here in Silicon Valley, where I am. But I think as we go along, we try to attack problems based on partly where we see opportunity. You know, we also have to find product market fit in in any endeavor that we do. Um, you know, we're not trying to push boulders up a mountain and, and trying to force things on people. Like if there's no need for something, then why do it? So, so that's kind of how we decide to launch things. So we have Camp Hustle coming up, which is an investor conference. And I think, you know, part of that is there are a lot of aspiring angel investors and even emerging fund managers, but it's often difficult to find information on, you know, how do you start a syndicate or how do you start a fund or do I need a lot of money or how should I think about my portfolio or things like that. And so that is like the in real life version of of some of the content that we try to teach. And I know that you all at Vitalize also try to really, you know, help angel investors, which I think is amazing. I just think that prior to, you know, a couple of years ago, there just really was a dearth of information for even people who wanted to be on the investor side, right? So we just yeah. try to tackle problems as as they come up. And and we have general managers on our on our team who are dedicated to specific things. It's not like I'm running around, you know, doing all this <laughs> stuff. I, I totally understand that. And with let's start talking about that one since we're on that right now with Camp Hustle going the kind of live in-person route for something to kind of educate people, which we've had this pandemic and this kind of, I think, desire people have to get together in person. Just say behind the scenes even of deciding as a team that we want to run with this direction as let's do this Camp Hustle thing. This is going to be great. I'm just curious as to more about that because there's so many directions you can go as a startup, as a venture firm, whatever. We always are, are thinking about like new and different ideas too. And we see what's going on in the industry. Take me through like Camp Hustle and that like inception behind that. I think part of it is also just fun. I mean, you do some things for business decision reasons Absolutely. and all that, but but it's also important to have fun. And I think just with the pandemic and everything, you know, at least for me, I don't know about for you, but I felt pretty cooped up in these walls. And yes. so uh, I think a lot of us just want to get out there and and meet people and 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 that kind of thing. And so Camp Hustle is a way to to do that. I think, you know, we do a lot of online content and a lot of online things. And we just felt like, well, this is something kind of different, especially given the last two and a half years. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot. Obviously, if you see from, from the outside perspective, we're like, oh, wow, Hustle Fun is just, they are definitely hustling. That is for sure. With that too, with the online side of it then, and you have what you're doing, Angel Squad, and seeing how that has grown over time as well. Same through the thinking behind that. I mean, in theory, you could have just continued to kind of run your fund. You'll see rates fund one before, then fund two. You could have kept going that route. You go the angel route, have people invest alongside you as a pre-seed. Well, how'd that come about? Uh, vision for that. We'd love to just hear more about Angel Squad as well. Yeah, well, a lot of that is uh, due to Brian Nichols, who who I 100% credit for that. Like he spun it up. You know, he got it going and he really grew it out. I mean, now the team has grown and there are other leaders in there as well, including Haley Bryant and Jamie Melzer. Um, but Brian, you know, is the one who just ran with it. And and so I didn't do anything. Um, but I think that <laughs> for Angel Squad, you know, the way that we kind of saw the problem was, well, I think it is great. There are all these emerging fund managers, but having been one myself, you know, and, and you have to fundraise and that's a slog, especially for fund one, and it takes forever and a day. And and here's an interesting stat, Justin. Our angel squad in their first year alone deployed more capital than our fund one, which that's is <laughs> crazy because you know it took us a long time to raise our fund one and then you know we deployed it and and that was all over the course of whatever two and a half years. 
Angel Squad did all of that in a year-ish. And and so I think that's sort of the power of angel investors where, all right, one approach is you have fund managers and you, you go and raise, and that's that's great. But another, I think, approach to that is, can we pull together people who already have money and make decisions about their own money? And maybe even if it's not a lot of money, if you can band enough people together, um, you know, and I, I, I really actually love how Vitalize is also, you know, thinking along the same lines. I think we're very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like in the same spirit or whatever people say, whatever that phrase is. Yeah, um, in the same vein, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like-minded in that regard. Like, you know, if you can band people together with a few thousand dollars here and there, that can actually make a huge difference for a startup. Um, you know, just getting even a, a 50 to 100K check into a startup from a whole group of people is a pretty amazing thing for a startup that's just getting going. So. So that was the idea behind Angel Squad. Like that's just a different approach in getting capital into startups and it, arguably in a faster way than spinning up a new fund. Yeah, that is a, so interesting to see that model, your model with that. Uh, we obviously realize our model as well with that and just seeing that there's so much there's so much capital out there. People are willing, they're interested in what this asset class is. And to me, it's fascinating just to see the interest people have had, maybe not a credit or a credit that people are just like, oh, what are startups? What is this thing? You have the education components, so they start to understand like, the mechanics behind the industry and everything. And that opens up way more for people. And I think I remember talking to Jordy Hayes from Party Round, and he was saying like one of his, I think, friends who wanted to put like a thousand or 500 bucks in a startup, like, you know, it wasn't easy to do, couldn't do it necessarily. Then he ended up bringing in like thousands and thousands of dollars. He was either in pipeline or other investments. So the check size to help this ratio was there where it's like insane if you allow some smaller checks in which i think the industry will you know open up more in that regard we've seen crowdfunding how that's already grown i think you see like we funded with their community round that launching that as well with how that's opening up more people kind of lobbying to invest in these other companies which is fascinating i don't know what are your thoughts on crowdfunding in general have you seen that or how you think about that as a fun too oh i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of just in general opening things up and, and this may be you know, I guess slightly controversial to other VCs, but I mean, I think, you know, there's certainly been a lot of talk about, um, you know, lack of diversity in tech ecosystems. And, and I think actually a lot of that does stem from funding in that if you were to truly have an open market where literally anyone in the world could decide where to put their money, I actually don't think you have that problem as much because everyone will kind of decide where to put their money in a different way, right? You need you need that. You need truly a free market when it comes to um, you know investments. I believe, and but the problem is the way that regulations are, and and this is not even just oh people are sexist or racist, but rather like the way that our regulations are, you know, per the SEC, like there are all these limitations on how you raise your fund and how many people can be in your fund and like all all this stuff, accreditation rules, etc. So I think if you can open up a lot of that. And and obviously the pushback is, well, you don't want everyone to lose their money. Like, But if you can do that in careful ways and create a free market, then I actually think that's just good for the ecosystem or the general market. Because what ends up happening is you truly then have a much freer market for great ideas to kind of bubble up, great, great ideas and great founders to bubble up and, and be able to get a shot at executing on a business. Yeah, one of the things I'm going to say with, with that, thinking of obviously that that opening up and access, which I think will be great for the industry. And like you said, a lot of it comes with that kind of shifting gears a little bit. One of the interviews you were on a while ago, it was around, you mentioned kind of like 
LPs investing in a GPs, brand being a part of that is one of the factors as to why they would invest. You mentioned like uh, Saster, for instance, SAS, obviously like huge that stand out with their conference and everything. And like they differentiated in that capacity. Hustle Fund, how do you think about brand building, what you do for that to kind of grow your brand to stand out in this crowded market of sorts that is venture capital? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I really admire what Jason Lumpkin has done with Saster. Like they are the go-to for anything SaaS. <laughs> Um, I think for us at Hustle Fund, like, because we're at Pre-Seed, we are just fundamentally generalists. Like, we are not specialized in SaaS. We're not specialized in fintech. We're not specialized really in anything. But, um, you know, I think that the way we think about things is like, hey, can we just build a brand around tactical information that will help founders at this stage, like, you know, when I think back to when I started my company, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Everything from I didn't know how to raise money. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know the lingo. I didn't know what to do or really anything. So can we provide tactical information around things like fundraising um, to a lesser extent, customer acquisition? Like how do you do customer development and all that? We try to put out tactical content on basically things that founders at this stage would need. So that's how we think about our branding. Like you know, having been founders before, can we offer some advice just to the open world, whether they end up, uh, you know, taking money from us or not. And, um, you know, along the way that that's also helpful for marketing. Let's double click on your threads that are phenomenal, by the way, <laughs> on, on Twitter, everyone has, everyone talks about them. I think you're very much so known for that. How did that get started and take me through the progression? Because my marketing mind is just like, Oh my gosh, it's genius. Of course, these are, these are working so well. You have the experience already from starting your company. Like this, this makes so much sense. But from your perspective, take me through more of that. And like when you write them, I'd love to more details about that. Thank you. I wish I could say it was deliberate and like a concerted strategy, <laughs> but unfortunately it wasn't. So what happened was um, many years ago, uh, after I exited my company, I was thinking, gosh, how clueless was I? Like there were so many things I learned along the way. And so I started writing just for my own self, not really for anybody, uh, a, a, a series of blog posts on my blog. Like I, I just would put out one a week actually. And it was on something that I had learned along the way. And I had so many learnings, there was always content to write. And um, it, a lot of it was based on like things that I was clueless about for fundraising. Like an example was when people told me, oh, you should pitch your company. I thought that meant, oh, you walk into somebody's office and then you stand up at the front and you know, you do a presentation like a like you, you know, one of those pitch competitions. But anyway, mm -hmm. I, so I started writing all these posts, and but they were very time consuming. I'm not a good writer. It takes me hours to write a post, and so that turned into threads because I felt like, well, I still want to keep up with my blog, but I really don't have time for this. I'll just write the bulleted version in tweets, and that actually ended up. I, I guess people don't care about reading my blog posts. And so they would much prefer to just skim in 20 seconds, like a tweet thread and, and decide whether or not it was for them or not. And, um, and that ended up taking off just as an alternative to writing my blog. So unfortunately I've kind of, I don't know, not written as much as I would like on my blog. When do you end up writing that? I mean, as a, as any venture capitalist knows, like the amount of inbound you get meetings, you have whatever, there's a lot. When do you personally find the time and make make the time, I'd say, I guess, to, to write then? Yeah, so I don't really plan it out. Like, I don't have a, a marketing calendar of this is what I'm going to yeah. tweet on this day or that day. I mean, I mean, we do to some extent for things we want to launch or announce, but, but for just the regular threads on, I don't know, how to put together a five-slide pitch deck or whatever, <laughs> 
it, it's more about like, I had, let's say two conversations with, it could be my own portfolio founders or other founders about some topic. And then I'll think, huh, actually, I didn't know anything about that either. Maybe I should tweet about it. So it usually stems from some conversation I had like some recent day. And, and then I just like hammer it out in, you know, 10 or 20 minutes. Yeah, you have a gap in time. Here we go. This is on your mind. Boom. Yeah, I, I agree. I think talking to Gail, by the way, it's a similar thing when she has stuff. It's like, yeah, you just have a meeting with the founder. You're like, oh, wait, I should write about that thing that whatever was useful. And that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. What, one of the things I'm curious about, too, with what you mentioned being kind of a, a generalist that precede, and these are so early companies, obviously, is it you're investing a lot of times just they have an idea? Do you have any, any requirements around what you want to see? I would love to hear more about that for the founders listening or what that you're kind of looking for. And obviously there's many different things I imagine, but anything around that and your investments would be helpful. Yeah, it's a good question. And and this is purely my own opinion. Even people on the Hustle Button team may disagree. But so for pre-seed, we define that as pre-revenue. So we're comfortable investing pre-revenue. That being said, I would, I would not say that we invest at the idea stage. Like if you just thought up an idea yesterday, we would want you to have done, done something before we invest. But that done something doesn't necessarily have to be a whole lot. I think it's just to kind of show that you can get started on execution and also for us to be able to understand the direction of the execution. So an example in my mind of what that great execution looks like in the beginning is you, let's say you quit your job yesterday and then today, um, you know, you, you call up, let's say five prospects, like five customer prospects, and you try to do customer development with, with them and get some good learnings this week. And it's like the speed of your learnings, even if you're not actually selling something is really important. Or maybe you try to get a wait list together of a hundred people this week or whatever, and you're in coffee shops and signing people up or whatever. That's the kind of stuff that, that we love. So, um, I think, when I say we'd like people to have done something, it's maybe it's an early version of the MVP, or maybe you haven't built literally anything at all. And you're just getting people on a wait list or having conversations. doesn't matter, but um, that's kind of where our sweet spot is. And then in terms of how we decide to take the next step beyond the application phase in talking with founders whom we may want to invest in, a lot of it honestly is based on the idea and how the founder has thought through go-to-market. Now, obviously a lot will change with both the idea and the go-to-market, but I think we tend yeah. to shy away from crowded spaces because we're a small fund and crowded spaces tend to have really high customer acquisition costs um, just because you know they're, everybody and their mother's in there trying to get the same customer. So that drives up <laughs> yep. the expense. And so we do try to shy away from that. And that, you know, unfortunately, I think we will end up missing out on a lot of amazing founders who are working things that just are not a good fit for hustle fund. And, and that's fine. There are other funds out there, but that's just kind of how we think about things. So we naturally then end up investing in a lot of ideas in things where you would almost argue the opposite, which is like, is there even a market here? Uh, why is like, there's literally nobody else here. What is wrong with you? You know, that kind of thing. And so yeah. that might be things in, you know, emerging markets or weird out there ideas, um, cryptocurrency and new things, um, stuff like that. To that point. So, I mean, diving a little bit deeper on that side of things, things that are not necessarily crowded markets. What are you evaluating with those in terms of the potential for those markets to grow in terms of what those can become? They, are they going to be a market leader in that market then? Like, how are you thinking through some of those things? And you do, you look for not crowded markets. Like, how do you think more, more in depth about that then? 
I think the honest answer is you can't <laughs> yeah. in markets like that, because I, I think almost by definition, they're not established. Yeah. Um, I mean, even take something like cryptocurrency, which is pretty hot, like who knows where it's going to be in 10 years? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we're making a bet that like, okay, uh, it, if, if everything goes well about the thesis of the market, then that's fine. But I think we're looking thing, at things on a more granular level of, all right, if we assume this thesis to be true, do we believe that based on the limited data points that we have, like, can this founder execute on that? And what is sort of the right way of thinking and prioritizing to get there? And a lot of it is we very much favor uh, founders who are very customer acquisition oriented. And that does show up in your actions of like, you know, how you're doing your customer development or are you, some people even are very impressive and they get pre-sales ahead of having a product. Like that's very impressive to me. So things like that yeah. are the, the signals that we're looking for in founders. Taking a, a bit of a step back. So I know on another podcast, you had mentioned around raising fund two and lessons from fund one to then raise fund two. And uh, one of the things I think, I think is from Charles Hudson, you had mentioned around like, don't run out of leads that stuck <laughs> yes. with you throughout, throughout the process. Take me through that fundraising process on the VC side of things, raising your second fund after you had raised the $11.5 million first fund. I think you wrote about that in a Medium article or blog post there. Take me through raising that second fund, some lessons from that that you took with you into that. And then at some point, I imagine it'll be a fund three, but just take me through some of the lessons that you've kind of learned from fund two. Ooh, just keep going. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the um, the extended advice to what Charles mentioned to me, which is like, don't run out of leads. And I think, you know, I, I didn't think too deeply when he mentioned that, but I think later, if you were to, let's say, expound on that, it's you want to constantly be meeting new potential investors because you don't want to be in a situation where you're trying to convince people who are clearly not sold, right? So that means that you are you have to always be meeting tons and tons of people in some form or fashion. So how this then manifests itself with, between fund one and fund two is, all right, we close fund two, but even though we are not spinning up a new fund, we have to start that process like ASAP. <laughs> So as soon as we closed fund one, we took a couple of months for the summer off, but we immediately started building relationships for fund two again, because we realized, you know, that was the only way to get enough leads to be able to then go after fund two. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, all right, your warmest leads are more or less exhausted in fund one. I mean, I consider myself pretty privileged and have like a friend group that has a certain level of wealth, but they're not like super wealthy. So we knew they wouldn't be coming back for fund two. In yeah. addition, we had a, we really did want to raise a larger fund two and kind of per some of the SEC re regulations around how many investors you can have. It also meant that our minimum check size needed to be higher. And that was just something we didn't see our friends being able to do. So, so we had to go out to a whole new set of people we didn't know for fund two. And that meant we needed to start super early. With that too, and with going from $11.5 million fund one, and then a much larger fund two, the fund size that you want to grow into eventually, or the even construction of that, like how, do, how big do you see that at pre-seed? I know this is very early stage. You see these massive funds going $300, $400 million seed stage funds, which is crazy. And then this market's insane, but you're going at pre-seed. How do you look at the fund size kind of portfolio construction for you guys at Hustle Money? Yeah, so we, I think this this may be contrary to what a lot of funds have done, but I, I truly believe that um, 
precede pretty much means almost by definition having a quote smaller fund and for s i don't know maybe you could stretch it and raise like a 75 million dollar pre-seed but i think once you're going beyond that then you're talking about seed and you're really talking about a larger seed like you know i hate to be one of those like <laughs> Fuddy daddies are like back in my day when I started in the the Great Recession. Like you know, a seed round was two hundred fifty k. Now a seed round on the ball end might be two point five million. Right, like upping that. Yeah. So the definitions have changed, but what I mean is like our ideal is we want to be investing in let's say your first half a million dollar round is our yeah. ideal. Is what I mean by pre seed. I realize everyone else thinks. $5 million is pre-seed, but that's not what I think is pre-seed. So, yeah. so for us, we would keep our fund small. Like we don't see ourselves, you know, certainly going above that 75 million, unless we had like a strategy change and went to multi-stage or something like that. But I think at this point in time, we are strictly pre-seed. We see ourselves as pre-seed in the future. I think some of the temptations that people have to go big is largely driven by uh, management fees. Yes. And um, because we have other business lines, we don't have, you know, we don't have a need for that. Like we bring in money through other methods. Yeah. Bringing that up is actually something I definitely think about a lot with Vialas too. And it's like, you're thinking, are you being creative as these micro funds or early stage funds that are not massive and you're not going to play the AUM game of having hundreds of millions of dollars. You're, you're, do, you're playing a whole different game. I know Gail mentioned like bigger is not always better. Like, can you build the best? Fifty million dollar fund or thirty million dollar fund. Like, how do you do that? And you look at like historically, like the craziest of the crazy. When like Chris Sacco's like first fund, like those crazy returns. You're like, okay, well, that's a whole different ball game as well. But they're not. That wasn't a massive fund. I don't know if people realize it always. Like that was a very small fund he did back yeah. then. So like thinking about that, you can be the best at that. But to your point, since you're so entrepreneurial, you have all these different types of businesses that also bring in revenue. That then you don't need these massive, you know, amount of management fees from huge funds. So it's a different model, which that's why I like talking to you. There's just so many different models to, to work with, with within the venture, which is for me always fun. I think it's just boring to think about doing the same thing as everyone else. It's just like, I don't think I'd be in the industry without that. For you then looking forward, like what what's next for Hustle Fund? You do a lot of different things. A lot of things are going on. What's next for Hustle Fund, Elizabeth? Yeah, we have a couple of initiatives in crypto. We've announced um, one of them, Hustleverse, but we have a couple of yep. others that we're going to be announcing later this year. So Hustleverse is essentially a community for you know people who are builders in Web2. And we use that phrase very loosely. You could be a, a marketer or salesperson or customer support, or you could be an engineer or designer or, or whatnot. Like, so basically people who are working at a tech company today um, but don't know very much about crypto or Web3, or, but want to learn and want to potentially, you know, either do some small role in Web3 or even make a full career change at some point. Uh, because I am a big believer, actually, in in Web3. I think it is hard to see the benefits today because just you see so many things going wrong, <laughs> like all the fraud, um, things not working well, the UX is completely confusing or lousy, or you can't do simple things. But but I think the premise is interesting because I actually think um, when we talk about free markets, like assuming everything went right with Web3, I actually think you can get much freer markets with um, with Web3. Um, but that's a long way off. So we are building this community because we believe there's a lot of opportunity there, not only for investing, but also just in general for, for changing the world, as trite as it sounds. I know we're almost out of time here. Elizabeth, where's the best place for people to learn more about you, Hustle Fund, all you're doing? Thank you. Uh, probably Twitter. People can follow me at 
dunkhippo33. And, uh, and my blog is at elizabethyin.com. If people are fundraising, there's a number of posts I've written about uh, tactics you can use. I appreciate that. And that is the most notorious name. Most notorious screen name on Twitter. I think everyone knows that. Dunk Hippo. Uh, I love it so much, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Justin. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc. Or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.